Okay, Luna, take it away. Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Luna Files, where uh, I will be doing weekly interviews with guests. Uh, this week, we have Mr. Toad, Tony Leva, um, a legendary cannabis breeder and OG in the scene. <laughs> um, Tony and I are going to be talking about uh, hop latent viroid, um, as well as some breeding techniques. Uh, Tony, uh, do you have anything to say? Introduce yourself a bit, a little bit of your story. How y'all doing? Uh, my name is uh, Brother Bone. They call me Mr. Toad of Filial Phil. Um, I've been uh, messing with cannabis for quite a long time. Uh, I started uh, breeding in 1996 after my grandfather passed away from cancer. Um, I I couldn't handle the fact that he. I used to listen to him scream for cannabis, and we didn't have any because we had got busted. My mom had been arrested and taken to jail. They took all our genetics that we had, all our plants. And basically left my grandpa die here. And he spent the past few days screaming and yelling for help. So from that day forward, I decided to do something with cannabis besides just smoke it and be about it for myself. And over the years, I became a breeder who uh, worked most of my lines to other sick folks that were either like my grandpa or like the people I was wanting to put the clothes I was wearing until I became one of the sick folks myself. And now I breathe through my own personal journey, um, which has brought me full circle to the plant. Like I, I taught people how to fish, and their their children came back and fed me when I couldn't do it anymore. You know, that, that, that's just kind of my story. That's kind of how uh, I look at the plant. She's uh, it's a lesson for us every day if we listen. And it doesn't have to be about growing a plant. It can be about growing ourselves. So uh, I always say just... Calm down and listen. Like try to go at the pace of the plant instead of trying to make the plant go at the pace of us, and you'll you'll be better off at the end of the day. Hundred percent. It's about medicine, about patience. Well, like I'm always sure. saying, caring, sharing, and community, right? And and we need to help each other, and that's why you guys are here. So, I know you guys were going to talk about uh, hops, late and thyroid. So why don't we just jump right into it, guys? Let's do it. Well, I, I kind of wanted to just bring it up on the level of the home grower instead of like a large facility, since that's what's really got a lot of people scared these days. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it doesn't take a lot for that to uh, to like settle people down by just showing testing that we do and if we do it openly. So that's something yeah. I've been sharing publicly on my YouTube channel and my Instagram and on my Facebook um, and some of the groups I'm in on Facebook and other places on Discord uh, to let people see that um, we don't have to be afraid of this thing if we learn how to uh, handle our plants with better uh, techniques, or at least not better, the forgotten ones. A lot of people may not know of the old overgrow forms back in the day. Back in the day on there, there was a whole beginning section where you could go on to, and it wasn't the first place that had stuff like this, but for the uh, smoker... It was probably the first time I'd seen stuff like this, showing people how to use protocol to keep plants clean using a single razor blade per plant, like cutting your plants underneath uh, um, uh, underneath water so you don't get an embolism climbing up there that can bring different molds of funguses or pathogens with them and stuff. Uh, wearing gloves all the time, like how people used to wear Tyvek suits in the garden and something that like you have to force it on a gardener these days that doesn't have a job in the canvas industry. 
that was a regular thing that I saw in every black market growers garden. Like they, they weren't just going up in there wearing clothes they were working in unless it was an emergency. Most of the cats had protocol. They had systems in line to make sure that what they were doing wasn't going to fail because they could not afford like you're, you're running a 10, 20, 50 lighter and you get a bug breakout in the middle of flower. Like it's going to be a lot of work for you to fix that. It's easy to do on a small scale garden, but on a large scale, you, you're probably going to lose half your room doing that. So you got to make sure it stays clean prior to that happening. We lost yeah. that mentality from those days because we didn't talk about it back then. Today we talk about it. So that's why I say being transparent with something that's legal should be something more of a strive to do that are the purveyors of the seeds that are out here and not just the people that are purchasing them. Like you shouldn't have to do this as a home grower. You shouldn't have to go test the stock that you purchased when the person selling them to you should just write that in as part of uh, expenses. And it's like buying packaging for your seeds. And it's like buying a stamp to mail them out. You got to cover that stuff or you're really not in business. You're just playing a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. percent. So Tony, um, can we talk a bit about how to identify um, hops latent thyroid? Um, what some of the characteristics are that you would see in a plant? Um, how you can know that you might have this virus? Um, uh, like characteristics, yeah. how it affects yields? Yeah. Some, uh, some cultivars, it's going to be harder to see in others. Um, a lot of them will show a brittleness to the stems. They won't be able to hold their weight up in flower. They're going to get plants that have far less terpene, thiols and ester production. They're going to have uh, way less trichome production. They also are going to have far less weight produced. There's going to be less biomass in the plants. It pretty much affects it in a stunning fashion all over. The plant won't get as big. It's not going to be able to maintain its weight. And eventually, in a lot of cases, will fall right over like uh, I've had a friend show this in a video to some folks so they get the visualization of what's going to come if you don't pay attention to what shows you early. Uh, there'll be some twisted growth that'll pop up sometimes. Uh, growth can go from horizontal and angular to um, di diagonal. I mean, it go from diagonal to horizontal. I'm sorry, backwards. Your plants will go sideways on you and start growing um, in a horizontal fashion parallel to the ground instead of growing straight up and then you start watching branching. So, so the, the limbs of the crotch. So I've heard of this before. So you have your, your main stalk, then you have your limbs that come mm -hmm. off and you'll see like a perfect perpendicular 90 degree mm -hmm. angle coming sideways. Yeah. That's a character. Coming of up. Pop and thyroid. Yep. Okay. Uh, that, and that knuckle that's there, when you see a uh, plant growing healthy, go away also, the plant will also stay more of a lime green color. Instead of going um, into sentence, it seems to always be continuing to stay green. Doesn't like to fade out as much. Um, Interesting. The the plants they can just show an overall um, less vigorous growth, but then there's also the fact that some plants can maintain it within their root system without passing it to the foliage, while you start passing it around your room because that plant has it active and you're touching the root system or you're sharing it with other plants that will bring it up into the, uh, to the foliage. Hey, Corey, how you doing, brother? That's my friend so, Corey right there. So just make sure I understand. So you're saying that a plant, if infected, um, 
and sharing a root space with other plants can pass the virus to the plants that are next to it if it's sharing a root root mass or a soil mass? Yes. Uh, in white papers, they've shown that it can pass in uh, at least two or maybe three different uh, fungal um, species in the soil uh, through mycelium, passes in water very easily. Uh, fresh growing root tips that have the viroid in them left in organic soil can be the vector of it being passed to a new plant, putting in the same area. So yeah, 100%. If you find a dirty plant in a garden and you're using beds, you should test your soil. Um, then they can do this. You can test root structure that's in the soil by bringing some back up, sifting it out, wearing gloves and such, so you don't transfer it to other uh, soil in your garden. Pull out what root mm -hmm. you can and send those in and test that substance for the viroid if it's in the root system it's gonna be there for a while like it can stay in there for quite a long time um like a year or longer in um, plant matter uh, in water it can say i believe they said it stays active for like seven weeks in water oh wow so um, are there any techniques to like remediate or or outcompete this virus in the soil once it's there um, get rid of the soil. And um, the, the, the only soil. thing I've seen in the papers was to freeze it. They're getting it extremely cold because even through heat, it drops the load. But as it comes back to um, normal, like operating temperatures, the load ends up coming back into the system. As soon as a plant that is put into it has an active root system, comes into contact with an active patch of that in the soil system, it could theoretically transfer from just the roots passing through soil and being damaged doing so. Uh, that's kind of like micro um, air layering, to, or not air layering, but air pruning that happens to roots as it's passing through the structure of the soil. The small micro abrasions right there can be the source of where the contamination can enter the system. And when it stays in the roots there, and within six weeks, and the, many of the uh, cultivars they've tested, it ends up in the top of the plant within six weeks. It may not be at the same load as it is lower, but it's in the plant. Once it's in that plant, what happens is you start to use dirty cloning techniques that will transfer it from your dirty one plant to the clean other plants in the garden. And that's where protocol comes in that we should be changing. Even if our gardens don't have dirty plants, we should be going back to having a more sterile setup for when we're doing replications, when we're cloning, when we're popping seeds, like um, cleaning seeds. You don't have to use bleach to clean it, but going through and uh, using a hydrogen peroxide or such to clean off any uh, mold spores that could be present is something that can always benefit everybody. Hmm. Yeah, so this sounds like a really big problem for like no-till and living soil bed growers that are doing a lot of chopping and dropping and and dropping a lot of vegetation from plants into the soil it sounds like a, a really great way to introduce the virus to the soil and have it there yeah. forever especially people who are yeah. soft chopping um their plants and then throwing the tops in in the yeah. Yeah. And in the uh, just, hop system oh go ahead Pim. i i was just going to point out though if you're growing healthy plants in your system you don't have anything to really worry about if yeah, exactly. In a dirty plant, that if you were chopping and dropping that one, mm -hmm. but at that point, you should have had the protocols set up where you're not bringing in a dirty plant. Correct. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I was about to say. Like, there's ways to ensure that for the home gardener, at least, 
they don't have to worry about this happening because unless you're around the hemp field or another plant that could have it, you shouldn't have to worry about bringing it in. It's about bringing in clones and seed stock from folks that don't have clean plants where it could become an issue. So a, a female plant produces the seeds and a female plants, when it makes a seed, the outer layer of that seed is female tissue from that mother. It's maternal tissue, right? So that tissue, if she was infected, is also infected. Now, it does not mean that 100% that the seed embryo inside is infected, but the act of an embryo radicalizing and coming through when it germinates can have enough of an abrasion on the uh, radical, the first emerging root, to actually damage it enough to where the outer fungal load or the outer viral load could uh, actually infect the seed at contact. And that's where they're seeing from eight to, in some studies, I believe, like up to 43% transmission in seeds. So for the home grower, if you have someone that shows, like on my Instagram recently, I just showed a test of all 11 plants I'm breeding with. One of the males I've tested twice now, and I'm about to do another round of six tests. That's going to do uh, nine different viroids and viruses on some plants that I'm also checking for a friend of mine. But I'm doing this publicly so people can see that there are folks out here that do it. I'm not the only one. And there's home growers that also do this. I have friends that do some of this stuff. And it's just to ensure that something they have doesn't end up in someone else's garden. Because this isn't just a small virus at the moment when it's tested, at least in California. The gardens they do test show that 90% of those gardens tested have it somewhere in the garden. And so without protocol, it's going to pass around. Like if you start cloning in an aero cloner, and you put a dirty plant in there with clean plants, the fact that you're passing plant exudates, the phloem and xylem fluid through the root system into the water will ensure that you give the other clean plants the viral. That yeah. It's just what's going to happen. It's not an opinion of mine. It's what the scientists are finding out in the, in the research that they're actually doing. Um, there's a lot of information on YouTube to show uh, a lot of the new stuff that's coming out, but I encourage the cannabis community just look outside of the word cannabis and the word hemp and look to where they found it first and hops because there's far more information that comes from that than is coming from cannabis because the cannabis guy, like always learned most of the stuff from a forum where they had to hide. They didn't have access to the smartest minds in the botanical universe. Like we didn't start seeing that for a while. Me and Luna started seeing it. In some of the groups we were in probably about a decade or so ago, there was a big old shift in the way cannabis was started to want to be understood. We didn't just want to be high off it. We wanted to know why we were getting. I want to understand ourselves along with the plant. And we shared that information with each other when we found empirical evidence, not just our own bullshit. Because our own bullshit's real easy to fuck with. If I only smoke four different plants, I'm going to say one of them's great and the other one sucks. But if I start trying out thousands of cultivars, I find out that there's different uh, groupings I can put plants into along with patients, but I can't put everybody in all of those. And we weren't able to tell nobody that stuff back in the old black market days, like what you were fucking with is what you didn't even tell your family about. Like some families broke up finding out someone was growing there, right? You go to jail, they take your kids, your wife leaves you. Everything's fucked up, right? You go to jail and you, you, you lose your freedom. 
Your wife now lost a partner in life that was there to help them raise a family. Your children now feel like it's possibly their fault and you were doing this stuff because the system will tell the youngster whatever they can. That's easy. And as a young child, you won't have the mind to understand what just happened to your whole family because someone you don't know, never met, probably will never research, decided cannabis should be illegal. And at one time, it used to be against the law not to grow cannabis in the United States. It, like, literally, you had to grow hemp to be an American at one point. And today... No, they needed it for the war effort, for the boats. It, it was a commodity. Yeah. Everybody had to grow it. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know. But with education, you understand that and would always question, why is it illegal today? Like, we still got boats. And we still got sails, right? And we still go to war. So what changed other than you wanting to be in control of those other things, not the hemp, the war and the profiteering and all that stuff. They just want to take the profit and keep us from having it. And that comes from education. We learn about the plant. We practice what we learn instead of staying stuck doing the old ways. The old ways kept us smoking weed covered in avid, right? We, we were getting sprayed with pesticides that will kill you. And I got sick from pesticides, touching plants, because the, the growers back in the 215 days, because they couldn't talk to someone that knew anything about plants and never had the chance to do so prior to being able to finally go to a club and sell your weed, they would spray anything on a harvest to get rid of spider mites or for a fungus gnat. Right? Something today that an organic gardener doesn't even bat their eye at. They understand that there's biological ways to attack these pests like nature does. And if we utilize them and mimic nature, that we're going to be better off. But for a long period of time, we went with the easy mindset, different formulations and recipes with plants that were being passed around for thousands of dollars for profit because of the illegality of a plant. And then once it becomes legal, we stayed with that mindset for too long. And then, like I said, with me and Luna and a lot of other people, we started finding groups where there were minds in there that knew about plants, not from smoking them, but from researching them and doing the experiments we all wish we could and couldn't afford to do. Right? You, to get a, a microscope and look at a worm tea was shit we all shared when we did it. And today, that's just something that we just, this part of the SLP, that's, that's, we use that. It's our science. It's what we do to prove what we're doing. And we'll teach you how to do it too. But at one point, we would laugh at someone because they wanted to use a microscope in their garden because we didn't understand the perspective of science and botany with, with, with crop science. Right? We were just stoners getting high. Yeah. yeah. Some, some of us listened. And oh, I'm so sorry. Different things. Oh, it's okay. There's so many different things when it comes to, to cultivating plants that we can learn about, you know, mycology, entomology, botany, microscopy, and, you know, it, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many different avenues for us to be educated on that are applicable to our craft. Um, you know, a big one, um, you know, we were talking about uh, hemp late or uh, hops late and thyroid, um, you know, the importance of understanding how insects and pests um, can be mm -hmm. vectors for this infection and spread the virus like plant to plant. So now we have to understand how these pests are working, how the insects are working and how we can prevent mm -hmm. them and combat them, mm -hmm. um, which I feel uh, a a standard approach or a proper approach would be 
uh, integrating other predatory mites. So now we're understanding that we have very specific species of, of thrips and spider mites and, and aphids that require other very specific species of predators to um, to either infect them with like a, a parasite or to to kill them with whatever mode of action. Um, but these things are, are crucial to understand so that we don't also spread this virus um, to other plants through insects, because there's so many different ways that mm -hmm. the virus can spread. And it's mostly if we practice a better protocol now, like we wouldn't pack our rooms to where every plant's touching the next one, because that's also a bad thing, even without a viroid. But that's part of why an aphid can chew on one plant in an indoor setting and end up on the next plant and pass the viroid because of the sap on its body and the, uh, a sore from another bug that just chewed on that plant as it got there. The vector usually becomes ourselves in that setting. So the bug, you're going to see aphids on a plant and then you see the honeydew and you go to reach for the plant to see where the damage is. And now you've got this on your hand from this plant. And if that plant has the viroid, it's in that sap now. Now you go and touch another plant to see if the aphid has made it there. And that protocol right there is what breaks the whole system down. We could put every biological thing we want in that system. If we didn't ensure the plant was clean to start with, that's where we went wrong. So someone asked about hops in here being a carrier or being affected, but kind of both. Like for a while, they're thinking it was doing anything to hops. But as the cannabis guy who's only interested in the thiols and the esters and the chemical makeup of the plant and not the biomass, they started to realize that if it's affecting cannabis on the level it is, we need to go back and check the hops for the same things. Test them for the uh, aminos and the uh, enzymes that it needs to produce those same types of uh, flavors and smells. And they're finding out that those are breaking down also from this viral. So in hops, what they do is they take the biomass and it doesn't go back in the field. It's put in a system like the muncher that Ken uh, has showed a show on. And it's broke down by uh, thermal breakdown and through uh, bacterial breakdown. And then it comes out and it should be usable. But they, what they usually do is make a biogas out of it. They don't return it back into that system until it's hit a specific temperature for a specific time so that it incinerates that viroid. Because once yeah. it's again, it stays so long and even dead tissue that once it's in there, putting it back into the soil eventually makes it reach the rest of that system. Like, it's not like just one leaf's going to do it, but if you chop and drop a dirty plant over the length of a whole growth, you've added a, quite a large amount of organic matter that has it in the system. So now it can overwinter if it doesn't get cold enough. Um, it can mutate with heat if it doesn't get hot enough. Um, it, it transfers in your hands and roots. They found it in endophytes. The, there's so many things that they found it that if we just don't start using the better protocol in the beginning, uh, we're going to be fighting it forever in our gardens because like, we, we have to make sure it's clean first. We don't have to do all that other stuff to fight it afterwards. That other stuff's what we do. So we have a healthy garden growing. We have a healthy rhizosphere. The area in itself is cleaner than before, but we don't need to put those in there because there's an issue. And that only thing we got to do is pay for the test or buy it from someone who has done that. Like if you buy clones, get it from someone who has clean clones. There are people out there that offer them. 
Um, well, you can look at, at uh, the guys that are doing tissue culture. I know uh -huh. that there's a company up here, Segra. That's what they do. And, uh, you know, they can sell to pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, it's everywhere, too. So it's on all continents right now. So even in Canada, it's there. So that, that's why I, say I can't tell you a company to buy a clone from because we're all in different places, different yeah. states. But you yeah. can look into it. People are starting to be as proud of a hoplite and viro test on their product as they would be for saying that I got 27% THC or 37%. Because in reality, um, hoplite and thyroid is an RNA. It's part of the yeah. DNA of that plant. 27% THC is a phenotypical expression of the chemovar status of that plant. It changes with environment. So because I had 27, doesn't mean you will. But if I've got a viroid in my plant and give you that plant, you got it too. That's how this is, works. So that, that's why I've showed what I've showed because I, I offer seeds. And my, I'm a handicapped person out here. It's my way of showing that it doesn't have to cost too much. And it doesn't have to be the reason why someone else's garden failed. Because you wouldn't add this extra step as a seed provider. Yeah. Until pricing comes down to where everyone can afford it. I think it's the people that make this their business that should be the ones paying up front to help ensure that the people that we say we do it for, the patient and the plant and the community, don't have to go out of their way to do it themselves. Yeah. Now, while my dogs are barking, I, there is a couple of audience questions. I don't know how you guys want to handle questions. You want to bring them up as soon as I see them or uh, – Okay, well, so we've got uh, Peter Cactus, hops resistant to the viroid or just carriers? Well, I kind of covered that. Um, it's both. Um, they found like 90% okay. of hops around the globe has hop latent viroid in it. There are okay. some cultivars that keep in tissue culture that are clean, but a clean hops clone is $25 a piece. You can't fill a, a field of uh, hops at that price it, you won't make no money at the end but you could start your own cloning facility to make your own clones to fill your facility which is yeah. what a business would do but the like with cannabis the average guy for a long time didn't do that guy or gal they weren't out there doing their own cloning man i'm i used to run a clone business i used to do 4400 clones a month working at the club i ran everything it was me 27 days a week another three days a week i had one guy come in and help me for two hours and that was it that's mm -hmm. all everything was myself you have to know how to do it but i used to run into like we had four thousand members there was a club in town that had six thousand members i was a vendor at 17 different clubs Oof. there was less less than 10 percent of the community at that time knew how to clone a plant Right, so they were reliant on buying a clone from whoever was willing to sell them, and I believe that's where we went bad. Like the laziness of not knowing how to do farming techniques, even though we're not going to be a clone purveyor, and even though we're not going to have a thousand plants, knowing how to clone the one you find that's special to you and save it is a farming technique that's been used for throughout our history and today's smoker doesn't usually want to get into that you don't have to tell no one you're doing it you don't have to set up a big area it only takes a small amount of light and once you learn how to do it it's like riding a bike you can do it anywhere you go with any yeah. plant out there like right now i took them outside i've got redwood plants uh, redwood trees that i'm cloning cool. and i can i clone a redwood in 10 weeks 
in the soil done from clipping. I've got seven. I'm going now. If you look online, it tells you it takes six months. But because I know how to clone from practice, I took that knowledge and added it to that plant. And I was able to cut like four months off of what they say it should take to get a clone rooted from a clipping off a plant to a rooted plant in the soil ready to go. And I've, I've done I started it with tomatoes times. myself, you know, like there's so many different industries we can look at for knowledge and understanding. And that's where, you know, I think we need to, to listen to many voices, like I say, but Luna, um, how do you feel? Cause we've got a question specifically addressed to you from DP 71 DP zero Luna. Have you found anything that can help, halt the spread not stop it but maybe help buffer so since there's a few different ways that it spreads you know you need to keep in mind you got to cover all the bases right so we have you know like tony mentioned uh plant matter organic matter leaf drop uh nodal tips can fall into your soil and infect it uh, so that's something that you need to keep in mind to prevent the spread. Using scissors that have come in contact with um, the tissue of the plant and the sap of the plant that's infected, using those scissors um, as another vector to spread it to another plant. So disinfecting your your scissors in between plants, which is an insanely meticulous process. Um, so it, it just making sure that, that you don't have it in the first place, maybe even testing your plants that you get from outside sources or seeds from you get that you get from outside sources um, for the viroid before introducing it to your garden. Um, I've heard of people using bleach to disinfect their scissors. Um, Tony had mentioned hydrogen peroxide. Um, well, that, that only works for like etching seeds. If you want to, bleach is the best thing that the average grower is going to use. 20% bleach. It's highly corrosive. They recommend 10, but it's not always going to work. 20% they found will neutralize the viroid, but basically on most surfaces. But again, it's highly corrosive of everything on the seed, on the pots, on your scissors, on your plumbing on everything so using bleach in a home setup isn't the wisest thing to do all the time that's where again clean in means it's not coming in unless you bring it in that's the same way we got russet mites it's how we got root aphids it's how we got uh spotted spider mites we weren't paying attention they came in we noticed something was wrong with the plants and then we went in with our hands and touched everything that worked with those things you can wash your hands but what happened that i believe with cannabis because the same period of time when they start finding this was right after we all started having massive issues with russet mites and broad mites. The cyclican mite came here and everyone hid the fact that they had them because they didn't know what they were. And then they went to battle them with their hands bare. They were in there touching every plant in the garden, trying to see with a scope, which plants had them in the crotch of the leaf. And then they go touch the next plant. And a broad mite attacks your plant and sap oozes out of it basically nonstop. They become shiny from plant sap. And the second you touch the plant that a russet mite was on that had that viroid, it got passed around. And I think we had a small amount of the viroid here. And that's what manifested the large expression throughout the cannabis industry. Was that that one trigger point is what I believe took it from small potatoes to 
everyone had it because the large facilities who were producing the clones also had the rest of my, they had it before we did. And they too didn't know what it was. It took a long time for people understood what biologicals to use to stop them and how easy it was. Mm. But in, before that happened, people were telling everyone, go in and cut all the nodes off your plant until there's just two nodes left on top. So there's nothing for the plant to support the population on, right? Throw that stuff away. You were in there barehanded, like freaked out. You're losing everything. And you didn't go suit up. Almost nobody did. You can watch old videos of people showing how to treat them, what to do. Unless they were in a legal system where the SOP said you had to have that. They were in their garden in flip-flops, if that, if even that, right? They didn't have a mask on, a respirator. They didn't have gloves or long sleeves. And they were passing around an infection from clones that they got from a place that did the same thing until we got to a point that it's the, the larger population it is now because we put so much value on clones of plants that really, in the long run, aren't as special on average as we think they are like the way we bred cannabis to the point we are today. It's such a hybridized plant that doesn't breed true for anything that the lines that came from aren't going to reproduce a lot of the stuff we're after because no one's putting in the time to, to breed a true line. Like they find one cultivar and take pictures of it and tell everybody that's found in the pack when the parents got nine different uh, lines in them that have been crisscrossed in 10 different ways. So we end up with plants that they just, they're whatever, really. We, we could close our eyes and pick something special out of them. Hey, Tony, but that's where about... coming back. Oh, sorry, Luna. That's where coming back to the medical side and, and breeding for medicine um, is so important to you, Tony. And I know that it's important to me. And I, I doubt in my mind, or there's no doubt in my mind, Luna feels the same way. So where are we going? What can we expect going forward? And, and I'm asking both of you guys, um, of the hops late and viral, it are we going to be able to stop it or you know are we going to be able to just hold it back so i mean we're so gonna breed for uh we're gonna have to breed for plants that are resistant we're not getting rid of it it's on every continent already it's not going away is that just your won't opinion get worse. as well luna yeah i mean once the virus has been released on the planet it pretty much just doesn't go away right like we can mm -hmm. I mean, there aren't really like, you know, vaccination techniques like like there are for mammals, you know, for for plants. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, not it, yet, not yet, not yet. They, maybe Looney's going to find one. Well, maybe. here's the thing in the in the papers that I found, they found out that RNAs three kills this shit dead. They just don't know how to app, uh, to make the application to plants. It's a it's a enzyme. Um, okay. If they can figure out how to get that into the system of a plant on the on the cellular level, there there might be a way around it, and that's what they're really looking at what right now. That's the RNA only thing they found. Boom. What, what did you call, what did you just call RNA type three? What is that? What you said? Yeah, RNAs three, RNAse three, RNAs three. It kills the hoplite and viroid dead. It makes it ineffective. It can't transfer. They can't give it to something when that's present. Um, they just released uh, on YouTube from, um, I, I want to say it's from uh, My Flora DNA, the, um, the presentation they did, but it might be the one from Toomey and those guys. It could be medical genomics also. I've been watching so much stuff. But okay, within the I'm last two weeks. I'm going to do a double gold bar for that one, Tony, because, yeah, we love cutting edge, man. Don't, don't hide it, you know, 
Get it out here. Well, I'm not. that's why I've been using what I've been using and been public. People just really aren't paying attention. The This info is coming out every day. Like they just did 5,060 plants through my flora DNA that ended up turning into a 600 different test from different samplings of the plant. And right. through all that, they're all trying to find out what the stoner sits there on the couch smoking, thinking about these people have access to labs and the ability to do this stuff because they're educated. So like, I'm a stupid stoner every morning I wake up and don't want to stay that way. So I, I spend hours watching shit from people that I wish I had the position to be in or should have took the advantage to get to. And I never did. But now that I know I wasn't the dumb kid that I thought I was, I'm, I was quite a bit smarter than I gave myself uh, you're smarter uh, any kind than, of a, than a stoner is what you're saying. Which I'm smarter than my not. my stoner ass, so I want to learn stuff. So that's what I'm watching. I don't just listen to what another stoner told me about hot plate and thyroid. Everyone here listening to my dumb ass should go look this stuff up. The labs I talk about, the thyroid I'm talking about, the protocols that I talk about, they came from someone else. I'm just repeating them because they work. They're proven. And there's how we get around this because we can't feel our way around this. Like Luna said, once it's here, it's here. There's a reason like we're all human. It came from mutations. And some of those mutations are viruses that are part of our DNA now. Right? Yeah. That's what's happening with this, with this viroid. If we're going to let it to get in everything, it will. If we take precautions to stop it, it won't. Like they say that almost everybody in California has it. I just tested 11 of my lines and they were all negative. I, that means I have 11 plants at least. And if not gene pools of the seed, the germplasm, that's clean, which means we can breed our way around it. We can add more seed stock to the population, to the community, to the system and replace the dirty shit. It doesn't matter that it says sour diesel. It doesn't matter that it says space cheese it's, it doesn't matter whose it is or what it is it only matters if it's clean or not because it's about the plant and the patient and the respect of the mother earth right we need to quit forcing this dirty bullshit on the plant and being disrespectful to it that's why it's kicking us in our ass tony do you know much about um hypochlorous acid being used to sanitize equipment yeah it works also but uh, it needs to be pretty fresh um, a fresh hypochloric acid at, I think it's 3%, um, works, uh, household bleach, um, from, they recommend 20%, uh, some of the papers I saw said 50, and I don't fuck with 50%, it's not good for you, you're gonna burn yourself with it, mm -hmm. you're gonna, it's dangerous, so. Okay. The, these are the things, like the household, uh, the average Tent grower, I got tents behind me. Um, it's not a put down, but the average home grower that's doing this for a hobby just for theirself, they shouldn't have to do these steps when there's folks out here selling seeds and, and clones. Like, even if your friend's giving you a clone, he should be willing to ensure that what he's passing is clean. Like, we used to get angry about spider mites showing up, and we said, I'm not taking a clone from anyone because of spider mites or root aphids. If you've ever battled them, these things are easy compared to these because they go away right. but they're all vectors of what's here like the root aphid can pass this around if there's a high enough population of them aphids are the vector in hops which just means as soon as the stoner pays enough attention we're going to find out it's also the vector here we already known to be the vector the gardener themselves because of the way they treat the plant 
how to handle every plant with the same hand, the same glove, the same scissor, right? So as a home grower, if you've got a state that says you got six plants, right? Go buy six pairs of scissors at the dollar store. It's a way to make sure that you only use one pair of scissors on one cultivar and don't pass it to any other plant, right? That one could be dirty, but you've only used this scissors on that one. So it's helping reduce the possibility that it went from here to there, right? And that's, that's one way around it. But that's what we used to always do. We used to buy packs of 100 of razor blades to go do cloning for the day. And every razor blade got thrown away. You do one mom and take 50 nuts and throw in the trash. You do the next mom with a new razor blade and throw it in the trash. You didn't switch them over because we learned that back in the day. Like I said, on old forums that they took down when they busted the, the, back in, I want to say, 99, 2000. They busted the old forums and took all the information down. And unless someone screenshotted it and saved the files, which some folks did, you never knew they were there. But some of that info is still available. You can go search if you know where and find the protocols that we used to all follow back when it was straight black market and just turning to the legal side of cannabis in the 90s in California. That's when everyone wanted to be a cannabis farmer and wasn't afraid to share it no more. So they were online asking each other questions, telling each other, I got seeds. Here's a clone. I'll pass it to you. And we did it the wrong way because in any other agriculture, you had to prove your plant was clean before you could put it in another facility. It couldn't cross state lines because of the bugs and pathogens that could be in your state that could affect somewhere else. Yeah. We, we didn't care about that. We were getting high. We, we want you to get high too because this is so damn special that it's worth risking all of the agriculture in a state from this plant. Like that, That's how crazy of a thing we did. So what comes to mind for me, you know, I live here in Oregon um, and there are tons of hemp farms here um, and hemp farms have become such a, a huge source of, of pests and, and contamination for everyone in the state. Um, and, you know, aphids, they can go pretty far. They can they can move farm to farm and spider mites. They can catch on the wind and go for miles and miles and miles. Um, so I feel like these, you know, outdoor growing, greenhouse growing in, in like non-sealed environments, non-sealed greenhouses in the full term, you know, uh, outdoor, um, preventing the spread of this virus through insects and pests as a vector is almost impossible. Um, well, well the, the pest is only a vector when it can make an immediate contact with the plant. So if an aphid gets picked up in a storm and is blown to another plant, by the time it gets there, the the viroid, from what I've seen in the paperwork, isn't able to have a, an effect on a plant. So it has to be almost instantaneous from an aphid. That's why in the hops yard it's happening, because hops has grown so close together they're touching. So aphids are just walking from one leaf to the next leaf. And that's where, in a cannabis facility, when all your plants touch, like that's where the vectorization can happen from an aphid. But it's usually from the human trying to fight the aphid that goes in and touches the plant sap on the one infected plant and transfers it over because of how much of it they have on them compared to an aphid and how rough they are to a plant compared to aphid. Like an aphid can jump on a plant and not hurt it. As soon as you touch a plant, you've done micro abrasions to it. And those yeah. micro abrasions, no matter how small, RNA can get in them. That, that's how it's, it's beaten us. It comes down to the human being the 
the massive vector of everything because of the technique of growing. We pack rooms to the top because production says we have to have this amount of weed in that room or there have to be this many plants because they only know how to grow this much weed on a plant. So their numbers say, I need a hundred plants in a room to get to 10 pounds when I could grow 10 plants in a room and get the same amount of weight if I know how to grow them. But that's not what we're doing as cannabis farmers. We're trying to push as much weight to as many people that'll take it as possible. So they go to um, a club to get your shit and smoke some weed, right? Say you don't even bring clones in. You're a guy that pops seeds that you know are clean or a gal. You're a farmer. You got a clean garden. You're under this impression and you go down and buy some new weed because you want to know if you should buy the seeds from this person. And it happens to be in the club. Now you go down and buy it. And what you don't know is 40% of all samples in California test positive for the viroid. And it's still active on dead tissue for a long time. Like, up to, I believe it's up to three months or something or six months. It can stay active on dead tissue, which means the buds you're smoking could have the viroid active on them from a large facility that isn't testing. Because if they test and come up dirty, they got to quit offering the flower pretty soon. They're going to start making this mandatory. When that happens, it's going to cost companies tons of money because they didn't do it ahead of time. It's just like switching over from HPS to LED. In California, that's coming. And the people that don't take advantage of it now and get the rebates are going to pay full price when that happens. And that's where the gardener should be ahead of the game. Today's cannabis farmer in the legal market isn't. They're too busy fighting regulations and taxation and trying to do packaging different every other month that this is slipping right in while the large companies that are absorbing small brands just so they can bankrupt them so they can keep the large ones going have the ability to pay for testing uh, that way they can go through and put a clean plan in. They can send it to tissue culture, something I can't afford or most average growers can't afford your favorite plan. It, once dirty, you're not going to come up five or $10,000 to clean it. If you're growing in a tent and your tent costs you a hundred bucks, there ain't no way you're going to spend a thousand times that to clean a plant. You just won't do it. And that's their, they're betting on it. So that way they can get you to come buy the herb from them in a system that's going to be regulated to the point where cannabis becomes a pharmaceutical. Well, if it becomes schedule anything besides what it is now, a rescheduling of cannabis makes it almost impossible for the average person to turn it into a business or to even play around with it on the levels we are today. And that's, that's what they got coming to it. It's easy to tell someone that too, that doesn't believe in cannabis when they can tell them about a viroid like this that the stoners let in. That'll be the verbiage they use so that grandma wants clean hemp and her shampoo goes, well, I don't want my shit dirty. I'm going to let the people that knows what they're doing do it. And they'll it's easy to talk them into it. It's the same thing they've done with everything up to date. They won't change because it's cannabis. It's just going to be happening more often and with more products. And it can replace everything everything oh what a beautiful picture you're painting tony come on we can beat this we we have a good community man we just gotta all get together and move forward on it and we can keep this plant pure and have purity in a living soil like the way we need it to be and we're gonna beat this you know they they can't hold us down forever man hops never beat it 
So us thinking we're going to beat it is hoping on a pipe dream. So we can keep puffing on that pipe and hoping it happens. And if it does, awesome. But the, the crop scientists, people that have been doing this openly, publicly with other plants, none of them beat it. They, nope. they learned to deal with it by writing it into the SOPs. Like, we're going to lose 20% of the whole garden this year, period. We need to make sure that's in there. So at the end of the year, we don't look like asses when we lose 18% of this garden. Because it's going to happen. Like, that. thinking about it in the form of a stoned happy hippie, isn't not, you're not understanding the biology or the science behind it. It's rewriting the DNA of the plant. So we, we yes. can't use mycorrhizal to beat it and this uv light doesn't kill it like what's in nature that usually works doesn't because it alters dna that mm -hmm. that's the whole thing once it alters the dna there's no going back unless you have germplast before it happens that's the what only about, way to fix it what about tissue culture it can it can work but some they're finding some cultivars um uh, like if out of 20 um plants they put in or 20 clones they might get one back clean so it comes to the point where it's economically unviable to continue to try to fix that one cultivar or when they can fix other ones with one round so they're fine they're not all the same and some plants have the ability to keep it in the roots and never pass it into the foliage in time for us to harvest so where we'll be able to grow it in large pots that don't intermingle soil or medium and then be able to harvest that plant before it actually affects what we're harvesting it for. Cause we're harvesting for the oils and the, basically the chemicals the plant produces, not the biomass. If we were trying to just get biomass, we could cut it early and just put another round in and do the same thing. And we'd be able to do that before the viroid had the ability to affect the harvest. We, so we just go, we've got to grow six weeks, cut it down, grow six weeks, cut it down. Because as soon as we hit eight weeks, it shows up in everything and branches start falling off plants. Like it doesn't just affect how much the plant smells or tastes. You could literally have all the branches fall off your plant in the middle of a grow. I've seen it happen. Um, so like we, we have to be careful with what we're messing with to just go... It's going to be okay for it to be there. That's what the hops guys did. And that's why it's in 90% of hops. So the way around it is to not take that mentality up, to not be okay with it being in 90% of the plants. So we have to test more to find the cultivars that can be bred with that are resistant to the pathogen. And that, that's how you get around it. Or again, seed stock. Like if it's in the clones, but not in the seed stock. You've gotten the clones from bad protocol, which means we get rid of the clones. We pop more seeds of the same gene pools. We select for something similar, and we start over without putting thousands upon thousands in for each one of those cultivars or varietals. Like to be able, there's so many different plants out there right now. If we had to clean all of them, it costs so much money that no one's going to do it. They're just going to be like the hops guy will. We're going to grow stuff seven weeks instead of nine weeks and pull them out. Now you're just growing mids all the time. It never mm -hmm. finished. It's never full flavor. It never came to its full potential. But because business says we have to have this amount of weight out of that room, cut it down, package it up. No one sees it until they take it home. No one's going to do nothing about it. 
there, there won't be a damn thing the average customer can do. In California, I can't even see what I'm buying. I can't smell it. I can't look at it. I can't touch it. I can't do anything with it until I'm off, until I'm off the property, off the premises. And then once I touch it, there's no way for me to go back in there and tell them that, like, your weed's junk. I want my money back. They're going to be like, ah, we don't, you opened it, man. You touched it. How do we know that's our weed? Like, not a lot of places are going to be like, okay, here, just take this. Some do, but many won't. They'll fight with you. And it's not worth it over a gram of weed or an eighth of weed or whatever you're purchasing to have to go through that shit all because as business plan says that it's okay to lose 20% of production as long as we can sell 80% of what we fucking pulled out of it. If nobody knows. If everyone's sucking on a shitty bag of weed, eventually it all seems like it's top grade. You forget what good weed is and you start being okay with fucking bamboo weed. We all smoke press weed. Nobody, my mom never knew what green bud was until some lady gave her a nug and then she spent the rest of her life finding that shit. Like she's like, fuck, what the fuck am I smoking this other shit that comes with leaves of other plants in the bag when there's weed like that exists? And until you've had weed that changes your life, you'll always think that what you got is the best. And we're, being, we're getting talked into being okay with dirty weed like 40 percent of what's sold in california has the hot plant and biroid on it that means it's not up to par that means that plant couldn't produce the amount of terpenes and thiols and esters that a clean plant should it couldn't produce the right amount of cannabinoids like some of them i showed a picture on them before can lose up to like 30 percent of their cannabinoid and up to like 40 percent of their terpene production like you're literally being okay with smoking mid-grade cannabis when that's what's being passed around. Well, I like what Peter Cactus has to say. I want stuff that makes me laugh. Laughing is good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. Hmm. Thoughts, Luna? You you look so intent over there. It's all kind of depressing. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's look. It's empowering. We didn't know anything yeah. about this, and now we do. We can be the ones yeah. that we don't have to lose to it. We can beat it. It doesn't have to beat us. Right. I'm. Just, I'm curious. Um. So you had mentioned that the sap, like uh, as pests as a vector, the sap has to be fresh um, on a pest and then transferred to another plant to infect that plant but you said that it can live inside of dead plant matter for months and months and months um so is it is it possible to to touch a uh, a bud that has the viroid in the plant matter and then touch your plant and spread it but but i don't understand why a pest couldn't bite the plant that is infected and then go a long distance um, not to say the same thing I, I believe the same thing you're saying but i just can't find anything in the in the white papers that prove that I, I believe a hundred percent what you're saying that a bug should be able to pass this as far as it can carry moist sap period. No matter how far it went, if the sap isn't dried, then it should be able to go. And even if it's dried, if, yeah, if it can pass in dead material that has no moisture, then that means that it can be passed. Like I said, I believe a hundred percent what you're saying. Right, if it exists in the cells as, as a virus affecting, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the protein mm -hmm. um, chains and whatnot, um, then even just having any portion of that cell or any or a portion mm -hmm. of the cell, any portion of that plant in cellular form, um, 
and transporting it to another planet, biting it, it should it should be able to spread it. Um, that's just my yeah, thought. 100%. But, 100%, but, uh, I believe I that. Hope, yeah. I hope that that's not true um, because it would mean that it's going to spread everywhere and everyone's going to be fighting this virus that is almost impossible to get rid of. Um, but it, it did that in other plants. That's what I'm showing. Like the cannabis guy keeps waiting for that proof in cannabis. It happened in hops. It happened in cucumbers. It happened in lettuce. It happened in beets. That's that's just what's happened in the other plants. And they go about cleaning them and offering clean germplasm to places that want them who will pay for it. And that's where the money is. They come up with a patented technology to clean it, named after their lab, sell it to you for a premium. And then because it's business and you don't have the scientists on hand, you pay for it. And then you go through running clean shit through your system again until protocol breaks down and it's dirty. That's, that's what everyone else is doing in another agriculture. So you were also mentioning um, the spread of the virus from the root zone to the, the top of the plant, how it takes a period of time. Um, what are some factors that affect that spread? Just like systemic auto resistance, like the, the ability for a plant to fight off things contribute to the, the slower movement i mean if if you have high leaf transpiration um and movement of moisture through your plant is going to increase the the rate that the virus is spread or is it just cell to cell the virus multiplying and spreading yeah well it doesn't move the same in every plant so like i say some plants can like a negative a plant that's clean can be affected on the top of the plant and it will travel down to the roots in two weeks and back up to the whole plant in six weeks on in general so some Some cultivars don't do that so some of them will take it, go to the roots, and it stays in the roots for a long time before it moves up. And I, I've been trying to figure out why that is. And what I'm seeing in the white papers is it tied to auxin, a hormone auxin. Something has to do with how auxin's being passed around in the plant for okay. it to vectorize in the plant. I thought it was ethylene because it's a gas, and since... Um, uh, gases and like uh, uh, ethanol weren't able to kill this. I was under the uh, uneducated uh, thought process that maybe it was the ethylene hormone triggering during the flowering process that was causing it to show up because it usually shows up more in flower than it does in veg cycle. But the oxen switch at flowers why the plant stretches. Like, or if you put it into an area of shade avoidance, it's going to stretch. So I was, I wish I could do this. I could talk about we all want a lab. Taking plants that yeah. that um, have the viroid and checking to see how it moves in the plant based on shade avoidance and how I can affect how much auxins are in the plant. And then is it also being affected by, say, naptopleic acid or endobutanol 3? Um, is it just a, a native plant hormone that does it? Or is it a synthetic version that can also affect it or anything that, has the ability to affect how auxins are moving the plant. Mm -hmm. um, because it, you can have a plant in veg and it won't show. And then as soon as you put it in a flower, it starts to transfer quickly into the foliage. Uh, the only thing I found on the uh, hormones, because I've been diving into all kinds of hormone stuff, is auxins. I, I shared some papers on my um, Instagram on that. What about like stress response hormones like jasmonic acid, methyl jasmonate? Do you know how that might affect the spread of the virus? Um, I haven't found a whole bunch of information on that. So it would just be uh, me guessing. Um, sure. I do know salicylic pathways have something to do with suppression. 
Okay. Um, and those are tied to jasmonic pathways in the plant and how jasmonic acid is produced. Um, I'm not sure if the level of salis of like uh, salicin in the tissue can affect how it's passed through the plant. Uh, if it slows down the pace of it or increases it, that's why I said these things are. Because what's happening is we got people that are scientists that are looking at a plant viroid that came from hops and using other uh, plant growing techniques with cannabis. And us as cannabis growers know we've been doing a lot of shit that they don't do. And nobody's telling them that stuff. If they could practice the what we did, it might be a way to find out that what we're doing is what's causing it to jump so quickly. Like I said, what everyone did with Russian mites, I know had a uh, had an effect on how this this uh, viroid ended up in so many different spots across California. The time period's perfect. We see it showing up in 2014, hop latent viroid in um, in a garden. 2012 was the hot period of russet mites. And between like 2010 and 2012, nobody really knew what it was. No one was telling anyone they had it. The crops were failing and no one could figure it out. At least locally, that's what's happened here. And online, like a lot of the groups, everybody finally in like 2012 is like, it's russet mites. And no one wanted to believe it. They're like, it's, it's russet mites. Just hit them up with sulfur or hit them up with a biological fungus, uh, uh, bacteria. You can wipe them out, right? But nobody was telling everyone to suit up. We just forgot about that stuff because we, we decided that since we talked everyone out to use an Avid and Eagle 20 and all this other poison that we probably don't need it no more. Right? We're organic gardeners. Bacteria is good for us. And in reality, not all bacteria is and not all fungus is. And until we know that we don't have those in our gardens, we shouldn't be under the pressure that they're not present. Right? I'm a sick cat. And because of that, I know this. There are many fertilizers on the market I cannot use because they have specific bacteria in them that if they get into my uh, my um, my wow. digestive tract, I'm done. Okay. Right? And because I'm an ostomate, uh, if I spill that on me, just the water with it in it, it can end up on my on my um, my system. And like, I can't use those things. And I didn't ever think about that stuff as a healthy human. But today, as the guy I am, I have to look at the back of every bottle to find out what's in this bottle of biology. Right? I, and it used to be, what's the poison in this bottle of synthetics? And now it's, yeah. which one of these biologicals can hurt me, even though they're great for my garden? Yeah, pseudomonas can be really dangerous for people that are immunocompromised. 100%. Yeah, I didn't want to say nothing, but that thing can really be dangerous for folks, especially if you're an ostomate like myself. You do not want to get that on your intestine. Right. It can even Period. infect spinal cords and do all sorts mm -hmm. of neurological damage. Yeah. And I had a um, coccyx surgery, which is a direct surgery at the end of my spinal cord. So, and I have that, like, there's just scar tissue that's paper thin keeping me from being infected there if I'm not careful. So that's why I say everything in my garden could attack me, synthetic and organic. So I have to be so careful doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm kind of the guy in our group, my friends, that is like, I got to do this. I've got to prove to people that what shit I'm talking isn't just bullshit. Like I need to have the science behind it and the proof that I'm doing it and not just be one of the guys that says, yeah, it's CalMag. It's like that shit got passed around for decades and there's still people telling each other it's just calcium and magnesium deficiency instead of teaching them 
soil science and why a plant needs a specific nutrient to do a specific process. And it's not just putting it in the dark and shit. Like we just didn't understand nothing because no one was teaching us. Okay, Tony um, or Ann Luna, do you know if there's a list? Um, sure, you know, I bio biologies? Um, biologicals, I should say. I could probably find there's a one. there's a lot and it depends on what's like what infliction you have like there's a lot of things that would not affect the average person that like literally can destroy me um mm -hmm. most average gardeners don't have to deal with the stuff i'm dealing with like yeah. i ended up getting what's called terminal epidural necrosis syndrome from everybody using avid and eagle 20 and other pesticides i got that shit on my hands touching clones and I have a disease for the rest of my life now because of something that is ultra rare for anyone to acquire. But I acquired it because of my genetic coding. And this is where yeah. us as the purveyors, and I'm talking about people like myself. I offer seeds to people. I'm a breeder. Um, I take pride in that. If I don't stand behind the stuff I'm talking about, I'm the reason I got sick. And I'm the reason that your grandmother or grandson or yourself will be sick also because yeah. I'm willing to practice bullshit without ever giving the science a second thought. And you can't let somebody play with your health like that. If you want to get high, fine. But when it's grandma's uh, cancer or when it's your son or daughter having a seizure, right? Or even if it's yourself and your hormone imbalance that gets fixed by using cannabis, right? It needs to be exactly what it's supposed to be and not somebody's version of a story they heard on a forum somewhere. It, it needs to be real. And we should be proud to show that and to follow that science. While we grow killer weed, while we make better terps, while we press the shit out of plants, but we should be willing to offer up the science that can get us to those better places. 100%, man. So I, okay. yeah, so I found some, some interesting information. Um, so Bacillus subtilis uh, can infect people that are immunocompromised. Um, a lot of rhizobium species, if they get into the bloodstream. Uh, okay, Luna, can you bring up the website or or put it in the private chat so I can I can bring it up because I think that's something that uh, a lot Let of people see, might be interested in. Whatever, whatever you got that list. Yeah, sure. Let me. Yeah, it also says some species of Streptomyces, uh, Mycobacterium, Mycobacterium vasae. Um, so, yeah, so Pseudomonas florensis, Pseudomonas aurit. So, so there are a lot of these that I haven't heard of before. You know, there's just like a huge number of bacterial species out there in the world. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm not familiar with all of them, obviously. Um, and a lot of these I've never heard of before and aren't common in, like, you know, in, uh, inoculants, right? Um, except for the one that really stood out to me was Bacillus subtilis, which is, you know, massively popular in soil inoculants. Um, yeah. And is common in, in all soils. Um, hold on just a second. Let me see here. See, you guys are the whiz kids, you know. You're supposed to be able to bring this stuff up. You're much younger than me, you know. 
<laughs> I would have it up on my other phone, but it's dead. So I'm, I'm going to see if I can find it on here on my computer. I hate using the computer. It's too damn slow. Okay, and see, my I, I, I actually upgraded to Starlink so that I, I'm a little bit faster. And I never bothered to type it in, so I was... I expected you guys to, to have it up already, but uh, what's the name of the website? So I was actually talking to ChatGPT4 about it. Um, okay. Which I think is a really cool resource for, for quick pieces of information like this. So then it's not a, a website. You asked the, the question, um, like, so if, yeah, if anybody's got a laxer kind of thing, right? I can. How do I post into the chat? Um, um, you can't. You can put into the private chat, and then I can post it. Uh, but yeah, you can't post the chat. Now chat. you can bring up your screen if you have uh, want to share your screen. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> okay. Well, no, no problem. Hey, you know. Okay, there's something in private oh, chat, oh, guys. It, it, so. let me, it let me, it cut me off. It wouldn't, it, it has like a character limit. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Well, tell you what, how about you guys post it onto um, your IGs? I'll run yeah. your IGs oh. again. And uh, you guys can check it out. Uh, Tony, you can post it on your IG. Luna, you can post it on yours. And uh, mm -hmm. then it's out there even that much more. Sounds good. I'll bring it up in a post. Endobacter, that's yeah. the other one. Introbacter uh, Clochia, that's uh, the one that I can't fuck with. The Pseudomonas Petita also. Um, I can't fuck with either one of those. That's not good. Mm. Those are added to a couple different uh, PK boosters that are out there, like microbial boosters. Uh, those okay. are things that I can't really fuck around with the... Uh, the PK microbial boosters um, because of my health. Those are things that I would stay away yeah. from. I won't say the company's names. There's multiple ones. But if you're an Austin, I would not be using those to my soil. Okay, Tony, you went robot on us. If you're a what? Ostomate, like myself, someone that has a colostomy bag. It's called being an ostomate. Right? Um, this okay. means you have a bandage keeping the outside world from your intestinal tract. So I, mm. I, you definitely don't want to mess with an inoculant in a liquid form when you have a, uh, an ostomy bag. But that's why I'm, like I said, I'm one of the rare people out there. But there are a lot of growers out there that I've found also that are ostomates. And the, the yeah. biological... Um, uh, the, the uh, P boosters, um, they, the, 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 um, the bacteria in there are, they can be dangerous for us. So just yeah. be aware. Of mm -hmm. So guys, we're over the hour and we're going to try to keep it to an hour, but, uh, okay. I think we're going to be doing this every week guys. So, um, Luna, Luna has volunteered to be a beautiful mind on the channel and come to us once a week on Thursday nights at seven. So uh, you guys can look forward to more of this. We will let you guys know who we have for next week uh, here in a few days. Um, other than that, um, Luna, do you have anything coming up? Are you have an article coming out in Skunk or you know anything um, like that? 
I got a new tea that I'm about to be posting about uh, cool. here, a new recipe that I think is pretty interesting. Um, I do have a new article I'm working on in Skunk, Ron Skunk. You know, I always have my Patreon and stuff that I do, like consulting stuff in, um, if you want to check that out. Um, I have a pretty substantial list of guests um, just from connecting in the cannabis industry that I'm going to be bringing on this show. Um, so really great minds are going to be some really great discussions that I'm excited to have um, with people with expertise and uh, a wide variety of subjects. Um, Perfect. So stay tuned. It's going to be good stuff. Oh, see, now you're just teasing us. You're just teasing us, Luna. Stick around. Okay, guys, uh, Monday, Tony and I, I think, are alone on the OG's Power Hour. John's uh, down on safari in South Africa um, on uh, the afternoon oh, with Avon Layton on the Soil Matters. We've got Dr. Elaine Ingham coming on, so you're going to want to check that out. And, uh, you know, on Wednesdays, we have um, Andy Lopez, the Invisible Gardener, so... There's another one, and we're going to be bringing out more of uh, more shows. We're going to have Luna, of course, on Thursdays now, and uh, we'll see what we can work out for the other days. And I try to jump on with Caribou Heart TV on Friday nights, guys, for the the Friday night shit show. Uh, so if you want a good laugh, there's a good channel. So other than that, guys, I think uh, we're done for today, and we'll see you guys uh, on Luna and Luna next week. Well, I'll let you know who's it's going to be with. Cool. Thanks Peace so much. Peace out, everyone. guys.